are starting a brand new series for the fall. It is called Essentials, and uh, it is all about the essentials of uh, of our faith. It says there who we are and what we believe. So we're kind of I don't know getting back to the basics, looking at the uh, the, the the things that are most important in our faith, in our in our uh, Christian lives, what we believe, why we believe it, how we live because of that, and uh, and so. Uh, each day, each Sunday, one way that we can do that is to go back to some of the uh, uh, some of the, the the words of the church in years past. Uh, one of those uh, things, one of those documents, a creed that has been a part of uh, uh, Christian uh, churches for uh, for many many years, is is the Apostles' Creed, and it lays out some of the very basic. Beliefs that Christians believe. Many traditions have gone back to those statements in those creeds, uh, saying that these are the things that are essential to our faith. Uh, we're we're going to do a, a, a community service in a few weeks with uh, churches from uh, across the community. And obviously, there are differences between all of these churches in our community. You have a, you have a, I feel like maybe, uh, uh, you know, the guy at uh, standing up there, the, the, the steward or stewardess on the airplane saying, I know you have many choices about how you worship. We're glad you chose us. You know, I, I, it, we have many options, right? So, but there are things that unite us, right? There are essentials that we all believe. So, so in this community uh, uh, gathering, this uh, community revival, uh, or uh, some of the other activities that we do throughout the year, National Day of Prayer, Love Medina, those types of things, uh, we, we come together, we unify around, uh, primarily around the Apostles' Creed and what we have just just stated here. Uh, different denominations emphasize different things, uh, but, uh, but the essentials are, are still the same. One of our, the founders of our denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, uh, Phineas F. Brzee, was known for quoting, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. So we need to be unified in the essentials, but we, we, can, uh, we can still talk to others and there's liberty in the, uh, in the non-essentials. Now maybe uh, the, the biggest use of this term essential uh, or is, 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 uh, is kind of come in vogue over the last uh, 20 years or so, essentialism. And maybe you're, uh, you're someone who has uh, 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 dipped their toe in the water of essentialism. It revolves around buying, uh, you know, in this world where we, we, uh, we buy more and we sell more and we make more and we wear more and we do more. Some folks have raised some concerns that all of this more is too much, right? And that we should get back to what is essential in life. Uh, I don't, 2014, Greg McEwen uh, wrote a book called Essentialism, and the, the subtitle is The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. People who subscribe to essentialism, uh, maybe they get rid of all their clothes except uh, just a, a few outfits, or maybe it's always the same outfit, just, you know, five, five different black t-shirts, right, or, or whatever, or they clean out the garage, if they have a garage, eliminating everything that they don't use much, if at all, or maybe they sell their car and they walk or they take the bus, or they get clear on what's most important in their lives and then they clear their calendars of everything that doesn't, doesn't contribute to, to that or those few things that are most important, the Things that accomplish the essentials. They're boiling their lives down to the most important things. So this fall, I, I want us to focus on 
the essentials in our Christian lives. I I don't want to throw anything out. We're not going to say, well, we don't need this and we don't need that necessarily. But and I'm not promoting that we all wear the same uh, same outfits to church every week. That's that's not where we're at either. But uh, I, I think it's important for us to get down to the basics of our faith to really know who we are and what we believe as uh, as followers of Jesus. Because we can come up with a whole lot of stuff, right? And we can get sidetracked pretty easily. And I think it's, uh, well, I'm excited about to, uh, really getting back to the basic, the fundamentals, the essentials of our faith. There, there used to be a bumper sticker that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Anybody uh, seen that one before? I mean, it's fine. I, I just, I, ha- I take, uh, I don't quite agree with it. I think that it needs to say, God said it, that settles it. Right? Because, because, uh, it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not, it's still the truth. And I, I think that's where we're going to here with, with it. We need to build ourselves on the, on the truth. We need to believe what God says. Uh, and, uh, and we, we need to build our lives on that solid rock foundation of the Christian essentials. So that we really do know what we believe. And we're gonna drill down on these fundamentals of what it means to be Christian, what it means to be Nazarene, and what it means to follow, uh, follow God. And, and today, we're gonna start with God. What are you preaching on this week, Pastor? I'm preaching on God. Okay, well, that sounds pretty, pretty general, uh, pretty, uh, pretty generic. What are we, uh, aren't we always preaching on God? Well, yeah, we are. Uh, uh, but to kick things off, National Geographic and, and Morgan Freeman collaborated several years ago to produce a series called The Story of God. Maybe you saw, I, I saw uh, maybe a season or so of that. Uh, but they went around, literally all around the world, asking people just one simple question. Who do you think God is? Virtually every civilization that has ever existed in human history has had some inclination toward a belief in the divine, something beyond themselves. Uh, that has looked markedly different at different times with different people groups, and, and we, we, we just don't have the time to dive into all of that today. But, but uh, that inclination within us is intended to lead us toward God, right? To lead us toward uh, what the, uh, who the Bible describes as the one true God. And, and what we believe about God matters because we live differently if we believe that there's a God or if there isn't. And we live differently based on what we believe God is like. Uh, in his classic book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis tells about a schoolboy who was asked what he thought God was like. And the boy said, as far as he could make out, that God was, quote, the sort of person who is always snooping around to see if anyone is enjoying himself and then trying to stop it. Well, if you believe that about God, you'll be living a lot differently than if you believe God is just, you know, the big guy upstairs, right? Uh, those are two different gods. And by the way, neither one are the God of, of the Bible. So, so it's essential that, that I think we start off this series focusing on the, on, on, on the fact that there is a God and, and what the Bible describes God is like. That belief is essential. It's at the center of our spiritual beliefs. H.F. Rawl says, God is not one of our religious beliefs. He is the belief. He is not one doctrine. He is the heart of all doctrine. There's uh, the story I ran across this week of a, of a young curate in the Anglican church uh, in the 1800s. He, he was just starting out and he went to his bishop, uh, the Bishop of Oxford, William Stubbs, and he asked for advice about preaching. He said, he said what, what do I preach about? 
And Bishop Stubbs is said to have responded, a young man, preach about God and preach about 20 minutes, he said. And I heard a big amen over there. I'm going to do one of those two things today. Uh, You can decide later which of those two things. As we get started, I'm going to throw out a few uh, big old words uh, about uh, about who God is, what God is, how God is described in Scripture. Not going to spend a lot of time on them, but we need to know these things. They are the omni words of the Bible, right? Uh, about God, God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God is eternal. Uh, those are man. Those are big old words. Uh, basically, just means God is all powerful. He knows everything, and He's ever. Everywhere, all the time. And in saying that he's eternal, it means that he's not restricted by time and space. The Bible starts off with, in the beginning, God. Uh, not, no one and nothing created God. God was there. He's been around since before the beginning. All of those things are important for us to understand about God, the God of the Bible, the Christian God, the God that, that, uh, that is described in the pages of Scripture. But I, I have to tell you that, that it really seems like a daunting task to, uh, to step up here and teach you all about who God is and convince you to believe it in, uh, in the time that we have allotted today. I mean, we'll be out of here by 1.30 at least. We'll catch the second quarter of the game, guys, I promise. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's a tall order. In fact, it's, it's impossible. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I, I, I can't do it. God is so far beyond our comprehension that, that we'll never fully understand him. And, and I'm glad that, that, that God is so far beyond our understanding that we'll never fully grasp him. I, I think I agree with W.S. Maugham, who said, a God that can be understood is no God. Who can explain the infinite in words? The Apostle Paul agreed. He says in Romans eleven thirty three to 36, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So today I can't give you all the facts and figures about God so that you uh, have that part of your religion all figured out and you can move on to the next thing. What I can do is start to point you toward a true picture of who the Bible says God is. Because God is not just a concept or a thought or a power out there somewhere. God is personal and he wants you to know him. And so we're going to start there. The first thing that I think we need to know about God today is that God is alive. John 5, 26 says the Father has life in himself. God is a living personal being. In saying that, I'm saying that, 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 that we can know him, that we can interact with him, that he is alive and, and he has personal qualities and characteristics. That's important to know because so many times people believe in a power or a force that they can't try to control on their own. They, they, they feel like, well, if I just get on God's good side and, and I cross all my T's and dot on my I's and, and quote all the right things at the right times, then God's going to bless me. But God is not a lucky rabbit's foot or a jersey that you wear on game day so your team will win. God is alive. He is a person. He is personal. One, one exercise that has uh, helped me 
at times in my personal uh, walk with Christ, in my personal worship, is to start thinking about and even listing, even writing down in a journal, uh, some of God's characteristics. One, one thing that has been helpful is, is to just take the alphabet, right? And just start with, hey, well, we got, what is God like? Well, well, he's awesome. Well, he's beautiful. B, compassionate. He's a deliverer. He's, he's everlasting. He's, he's faithful. He's gracious. You get the point. It goes on and on. Just one little thing that we can do as we think about these character, these personal characteristics of, of this personal God. And we can know him. From cover to cover in scripture, God is revealed. Uh, we, we need to read scripture to, to know him. We need to spend time in prayer to know him. We need to spend time in, in, uh, in church and in worship and with God's people to get to know him. As we, as we read through scripture, we need to ask ourselves, whatever we're reading, well, what does this tell me about God? He is alive. He is personal. He's always wanting to get to know you. He's always wanting you to get to know him more. We can't just cover it and move on. It's something that you will be doing the rest of your life. Getting to know God because he is personal. He's alive. He wants to get to know you because the second thing uh, that I want you to know about God today is that God is love. John 4.16 says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. At, at his very core, God is love. It's not that God does loving things or uh, loves certain things or certain people. God is love. And that matters. I mean, if God were hate or apathy... He'd be a whole whole different God, right? But he's not. God is love. Because God is love, God loves the world, people, you and me. And what did he do to show his love? We've sung about it today. We've read about it today. John 3.16 makes it plain as day. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal Life. It's the most well-known verse in the Bible, probably in many stadiums throughout the country today in just a, uh, an hour or so. Uh, there will be uh, posters behind goalposts with John 3.16, right? It's, it's the, the one place, if we don't know any other verse, that's probably the one verse we might know. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Because God is love and he loves us, He has provided for our salvation, even while humanity was rebelling against him. Romans 5, 8 puts it this way, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. An apathetic God wouldn't do that. A vengeful God wouldn't do that, but a God who is love would do that and did do that. Because God is love, there is nothing we can do to earn his love or to make him love us more, and there is nothing we can do to make him love us less. There are a whole lot of other characteristics that that spring out of this love, uh, that, that God is love, and so therefore he is gracious and merciful and compassionate and slow to anger, and he forgives and he heals and he provides, and the list goes on and on. So many things spring out of this root of who God is in the depths of his character. He is love. It all starts with love. God is alive. God is love. But any conversation about God also has to include the fact that God is holy. Leviticus 19.2, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
God's holiness is repeated throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. We, we need to know that God is holy. It's essential to our understanding of who God is. He is pure. He is righteous. He is good. He is whole and complete. He cannot stand sin. And His holiness also means that He is separate or set apart. He's, he's, he's love, yes, close and personal, intimate, but He's also holy. And He's, oh my goodness, out there. And how in the world? And how can I even? And He's holy. Exodus 15, 11, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? 1 Samuel 2, 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Psalm 77, 13, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Even as we talk about God's nearness and love, we have to also see that God is other. He is holy. He is completely beyond us. Anything and everything that exists pales in comparison to God and his holiness. And so we have to have a a holy reverence or awe of God. The Bible refers to that over and over again as the fear of the Lord. It's, It's not necessarily that we should be physically scared of God, although, yeah, I mean, maybe a little, right? But, but it's, it's more than, it's more about giving God honor and respect and awe, submitting to his leadership and his position. He is in charge. I am not, and I'm okay with that. Those who fear the Lord obey him. They serve him. And in that they find wisdom. Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we're submitting to God and acknowledging his holiness, then we're following him and we're not in charge, but he is. And in that there is wisdom. Seeing God as the big guy upstairs doesn't quite seem to do him justice, right? We need to fear and honor God. He is holy. Yet another thing I want us to know about God today is that he is creator. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In our conversation about God, I don't think we can skip over the fact that he is the creator of the universe and the creator of each one of us. Genesis 1 tells all that process of God creating the entire universe out of nothing. Uh, that, that, that he didn't just start with something, but, but he literally spoke the world, the universe, into being. The story goes that there was a group of scientists who got together and decided that they had progressed so far that they no longer needed God. And so they went to him and said, God... Don't really need you anymore. We figured out how to create various types of of plants, flora and fauna, and and we can graft and change the molecular structure and do all these things, and and we can kind of grow our own our own nature. We got it covered, and 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 we can clone animals and do all this stuff, and we can create our own our and we've even figured out how to clone people. We we truly mastered the quote miracles of science, God, and so we we don't really need you anymore. In fact. Uh, we, to prove it, we'd like to challenge you to a, to a man-making contest, they said. And God kind of uh, waited patiently for them to, to finish. And uh, then he agreed to their challenge. And he said, okay, yeah, let's, let's make a human. You guys over there and I'll go over here and let's do it the way that I did back in the, back in the beginning, in the old days. And the scientists said, sure, no problem. And they bent down and grabbed themselves some dirt. And God says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait, wait. get your own dirt, he said. He created out of nothing. 
He didn't just set things in motion and then leave this universe to its own devices either. He, he, he sustains what he created. He's not just the creator, but he's also the sustainer. He's involved in this world. Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. Knowing that God is our creator and sustainer makes a huge difference in, in, in how we live. If, if humanity and nature were, were merely a product of fate or coincidence, life wouldn't have much meaning or significance. But because God has created the world, there is purpose and meaning in life. And because God has created humanity uh, in, the, in his image and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, Genesis says... Life is extremely significant. We were created by God for God. That means that it matters how we live our lives and it matters how we treat creation and it matters what we do with the resources that we have around us and it matters what we do with the life that we've been given. God created you. We've been given life. And so, so there is meaning and purpose and significance in that. And one thing that we see in the story of creation is yet another thing that we need to know about God and who he is and how he operates. One more aspect of God today, and that is God is Trinity. Trinity. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Colossians chapter 1, the, the son of the image of the, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We see there in those two passages that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all present at the very beginning of time. They were all part of creating. God created, when we say God created, we're actually talking about the Trinity, three in one. Oh, that's quite a concept, right? Which is it? Is it? Do we believe in one God? Do we believe in three gods? Stick with me here. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? We believe in one God. Yet throughout the Bible, we see three different persons of God, Father, Jesus, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are all referred to as God, but we don't believe in three gods all working together at different times, but, but we believe in one God who reveals himself in three persons. The Bible never mentions the term Trinity, and yet it's been around for, for uh, generations. Uh, the, the concept is all over the place throughout Scripture. As we just saw, there, there are uh, all three uh, persons of God uh, present at creation. At, at Jesus' baptism, uh, we, we see Jesus being baptized. The heaven opens, God speaks, and the Spirit descends like a dove. All three present in, in one, one place at, at one time at, at Jesus' baptism. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus commissions his disciples, and he mentions all three persons of the Trinity. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. We did that this morning because of that verse, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Trinity, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. Galatians 4, the, the Apostle Paul eloquently and succinctly describes how the Trinity work in tandem in our lives. When the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. God sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. There's been a lot of different metaphors used to try to explain the, uh, the, the uh, concept of the Trinity. Uh, maybe one that, that works is, uh, is water. We can experience water in three different ways. Uh, ice, uh, liquid, and, uh, and steam. And yet it's still water. It's still H2O, right? The molecular structure hasn't changed. Uh, that's, that's one way to, uh, to, to explain it. Although the metaphor, no metaphor quite catches it. We talked about an egg with a, with a, a shell and a white and a, and a yolk. And yet they're all, when you look at each one of those, you say, well, that's an egg. Uh, and yet they're all working together as, as one. Um, God is God made up of three distinct persons with whom we interact. One of my seminary professors laid it out this way. Uh, he described the, the Father, God the Father, as God is God everywhere and always, in all places and in all things. God the Son, God is God then and there, in one place and in one time, right? Jesus in, uh, uh, in, incarnate, in the flesh. And God the Spirit is God is God here and now in my place and in my time. Father, Son, and spirit. We're going to look more specifically over the next couple of weeks of those other two uh, aspects of the uh, of the Trinity, uh, Jesus and uh, the Holy Spirit, um, and the unique parts that they play in our spiritual lives. But until then, then I, I just wanted to uh, make sure that we recognize that that we believe that God is Trinity, three in one. A lot of stuff. What do we What do we do with all of this? I mean, we, we can say that, that, that we believe there's a God, and we can say, oh, sure, yeah, there's probably a God, but, but what are we doing with that, right? Are, are we following him? Are we, are we uh, seeking to get to know him more? James 2.19 says, even the demons believe there's a God, and they tremble, he says, uh, because they recognize they're not following God by any stretch. They believe in God. There's a difference between believing in God and believing that you are following God, that he is your God. So we can take all of this today and, and nod along and, yeah, preacher, you're right. And, and we can say that we believe it. That, but but if, if you truly believe it, if you believe that God is alive and that he is love and that he is the creator and that he is Trinity and he is holy, then there's really only one response. Worship. We have to worship. A God like that. We were made to worship God. We, we do that when we, when we sing in church, but it's so much more than that, right? We worship when we submit to his leadership for our lives. We worship when we use the, the, the gifts and abilities and, and time and resources that he's given to us uh, to, uh, uh, to, to point to his glory, to, 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 to raise him up and to, to uh, point people to him. We, we, we worship when we love the people around us and help them to find God as well. If we believe that God is alive and he is love and he is holy, and he is the creator, and he is Trinity, then we must worship a God like that. In light of who he is, and in light of who we are, our only response 
is worship. I believe with all my heart that it's essential to our walk with God.